Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. So, um, hey, I want to ask you real quick. Do you, do you have a best friend? you have a best friend? I love best friends. Everybody, you, know, you gotta love a good best friend. I have had the same best friend for going on 25 years, okay? Um, I'm gonna be 26 years old on Tuesday. So in two days from now, I'm turning 26 years old. So it's my birthday weekend, what's up? Okay, I'm working on my birthday weekend. What's that about? I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, so I'm turning 26 and I've had the same best friend, same best friend for going on 25 years. And his name is Jonathan Mark Huffman, okay? I love me some J-M-H, Jonathan Mark Huffman, okay? We've been ride or dies for 25 years, okay? And consequently, when you uh, do life together for 25 years, uh, you walk through a lot of different seasons, you walk through a lot of different weird moments. Uh, what I'm trying to say is you collect a lot of stories, okay, when you are best friends for 25 years. And the moment, the moment I wanna take you to uh, this morning uh, happened when we were, we were freshmen in high school, okay? Jonathan and I were freshmen in high school. I remember Jonathan in this particular moment um, had eyes for this one particular girl here in the, in the San Angelo area, okay? But there was a problem. This girl did not go to our school and she did not go to our church, okay? So she pretty much didn't exist to us, okay? Because that was the entirety of our existence in that moment, school and church, okay? So she did not flow in those circles, but uh, she, we had a few mutual friends with her, and somehow Jonathan caught wind uh, that God had breathed this little beauty into the earth, okay? So he sees this girl, and we're, you know, we're doing like freshman guys do. He's telling me about it, and I said, bro, what are you gonna do about it? You gonna be about it? You're gonna talk about it. Let's see, let's make a move. And he said, oh, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm never gonna run into her. I said, bro, find her on Facebook. Find her on Facebook. Now, we were relatively new to Facebook at the time, so Jonathan gets on Facebook, puts her name in there, okay, which I will keep confidential just for her privacy and for her, you know, safety. But, um, so Jonathan pulls her name up, and, and sure enough, there's her account. So he says, all right, man, like, well, what should I do? I said, bro, send her a friend request, bro. Send her a friend request. And he said, are you sure? I said, yeah, dude, send her a friend request. So he sends her a friend request, and now we, we wait, right, to see what's gonna happen. So Jonathan sends a friend request. We go back to leading our boring ninth grade lives, all right? We come back the next day to check and see what had happened. I'm like, bro, check and see if she accepted your friend request. Jonathan pulls her account up. And you know how whenever you're waiting for somebody to accept your friend request, it says friend request pending? You know how it does that? It did not say friend request pending. It said send friend request. <laughs> how many of you know what that means? She denied his friend request, like she slapped it down. She deleted it, okay? So Jonathan's in this moment like, oh, dang, like the truth hurts. And he's ready to be a man and take an L, right? He's ready to move along with his life. And I said, dude, no, no, send it again. Send it again. He was like, are, are you kidding me? I said, trust me, I know women, all right? She's playing hard to get. She's playing hard to get, okay? Send it again. So Jonathan says, okay, and so he sends it again, and we go back to leading our boring ninth grade lives, and we come back the next day. Sure enough, it says send friend requests, okay? And Jonathan's like, bro, I'm done. I said, send it again. 
Send it again. Jonathan's like, are you kidding me? I said, you may be delayed, but you will not be denied in Jesus' name. Come on, have a little faith, my friend. Send it again, okay? So Jonathan's like, okay, okay. And so he sends it again. We literally do this. I am not exaggerating, okay? We literally do this for a week straight of getting on Facebook and checking to see if she had accepted his friend request. And finally on the seventh day, Jonathan looked at me and said, man, like, I think we're starting to look a little desperate. And I said, I said, dude, we passed desperate six days ago, man. I said, we, we left desperate in the dust, bro. We're looking creepy, okay? So we finally decided that we were just gonna pause that whole thing, that we were not gonna send her any more friend requests, and we were gonna just let that be another one of the fish in Jonathan's big old sea, okay? And just let her swim away. But the thing I wanna pull your attention to is this, is it did not matter how many times Jonathan put himself out there, it did not matter how many times Jonathan put out the vibe. It did not matter how many times Jonathan sent the friend request. It was not gonna be until she, on the other end, accepted what Jonathan was sending that things were gonna be able to take off and move in any sort of direction. And I'm here to tell you this morning, this is exactly what, the, what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter three. He's saying, God sent his love, and now I'm praying you just dare to grasp it. I'm praying you just dare to grab onto it. Listen to me, you have never known a moment in which you were not ridiculously loved by God, but it actually doesn't make a difference in your life until you dare to grab onto it, believe it, and drive it like you stole it because you didn't steal it, Jesus paid for it. That's the truth. It's when we grab on to the love of God, when we begin to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of God is, the love of God begins to make a difference in our lives. Listen to me, we've got to grasp the love God gives. We've got to grasp, we've got to grab on, we've got to accept the love God gives or guess what, it will not make a difference. It won't make a difference in our lives. And I think honestly, I honestly think one of the hardest things to grasp about the love of God is how long the love of God is. How long is the love of God. We ask questions like, how long will God really pursue people who don't reciprocate love, who don't ever give him an inch, who don't ever even look his way, don't ever give him a second thought? How long will God actually pursue people who do not give anything back? Or what length, we ask questions like this, what length is the love of God really willing to go to find people who are desperately trying to run away from him. What length is the love of God willing to go? And the reason that we grapple with these questions, the reason this is such a hard thing for us to grasp is because a lot of the time we project our love's imitations onto God. We, we project, we, 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 we superimpose the limitations of our love onto God's love. And I want you to understand something, your love and God's love could not be vast the difference could not be more vast. They could not be further apart. Listen to me, God's love, it has no end. It has no beginning. It goes on and on. It is eternal. Listen to me, there is no end. There is no end to the love of God, but still it's the hardest thing for us to grasp is, will God continue to love me even though I continue to make dumb decision after dumb decision after dumb decision? Have you ever thought about, have you ever thought about the perks that come with being God? 
Like, obviously, there's a lot of downsides, and that's one of the reasons I'm so grateful, like, he's God and I'm not, okay, because he's got to deal with people, okay, namely Keenan Clark, okay, who are sometimes hard to deal with, ask my wife, all right, um, and so there's a lot of downsides, but there are some perks, there are some perks to being God, like, you know, God, one of the, God, one of the perks of being God would be that God can be in multiple places at once, he can be in multiple places at once. Like the dude can be on the beach and in the mountains at the same time. Like how cool is that? Come on, that's a God perk, okay? But the perk, of, the perk that comes with being God, I wanna, I wanna call your attention to real quickly, is the fact that God has this thing called foreknowledge. He's got foreknowledge. What does that mean? He's able to, uh, to know the future. In fact, I'll prove it to you scripturally. Isaiah 46.10 says this. It says, I make known the end from the beginning. That God makes known the end from the beginning. He doesn't explain the end at the end. He begins to explain the end while it's still just the beginning. God already knows what's coming down the pipe. God already knows what's ahead. God has this thing called foreknowledge. And listen to me, if, if, let's pretend for a second that I have foreknowledge, okay? Just bear with me, all right? Let's pretend for a second that I have foreknowledge. And I'm standing up here, and yes, I'm, I'm right now living in this moment. But I were to all of a sudden peek into your future, and I was to go a year from right now, and I was to see that you were going to do something super hurtful to me. You were going to do something that really, that really hurt me. You were going to walk away from me. You were going to say some nasty things about me. I know I'm in this moment, but now that I see that that moment's coming, I think that I would have every right to treat you accordingly right now. That's what would happen if Keenan Clark had foresight. And yes, that is a made-up scenario for me, but listen to me, that's the truth about God. God is sitting right now in this moment, being able to peek into future moments of your life. And guess what God is doing right now in this moment? He's saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Knowing what's to come, knowing what's coming down the pipe, knowing the dumb decisions you're gonna make, knowing you're gonna compromise again. Listen to me, I'm not speaking that over you and I'm not saying that we're just, we're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace so we're doomed to repeat the same six cycles of our ancestors and, and, and this will always be the thorn in our side. But guess what? God knows what he's working with. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that the love of God is not blind to who you are, that's what a lot of us think. We think that God loves, this, loves the part we show everybody else, and I'm here to tell you, you have not pulled the wool over on God. You don't have God hoodwinked. And listen to me, I would dare say that if God is willing right now to stand in this moment and tell you I love you, knowing the moments of compromise that are coming, I think that that is proof that he'll love you when you get there. Listen to me, God's love right now, God's love today is proof He'll still love you tomorrow. Why? Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your politics have evolved. God's love hasn't evolved. Your stance on what is and isn't a life has evolved. God's love has not evolved. God's love is, listen to me, this is a big word, but it's immutable. That means it's unable to mutate. It cannot change. God's love, it is fixed. It is infinite. And I'm telling you, as we begin to dare to let him whisper that whisper of beloved identity into our ear right now, I'm telling you that right there is the rock you can build the rest of your life on. It's the immovable, impenetrable love of God. God's love isn't blind to you, my friend. What I'm trying to tell you this morning, listen to me, what I'm trying to tell you this morning is God knew what he was getting himself into when he chose to love you. God's a big boy. 
He knew what he was getting himself into when he chose to love you. He knew what he signed up for. He knew that it was gonna be a white knuckle ride and he joyfully jumped into the middle of it. God's love is not blind to the parts of you you are hoping and praying he is turning a blind eye to. No, it loves you anyway. It loves you anyway. And I'll prove it to you. I love this passage, Psalm 136, verse one. It says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Now I have to ask you, why, why are we giving thanks to God for being good? Like, are we being like, oh God, you're so good at being good. You're a good little boy. Like, oh, is, is that what we're doing? No, the reason that we're, we're giving thanks to God for being good because God, is because God is still good even when we're not. Listen to me, God is not gonna compromise who he is just because you continually compromise who you are. God's not gonna forget who he is just because you momentarily at times forget who you are. God's not gonna stop being Christ-like just because you sometimes aren't Christ-like. He is gonna stay the same. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And this is the part I wanna call your attention to. His love endures forever. Now, I've heard this passage of scripture my entire life. Listen to me, I've grown up in the church. I think I was born somewhere on the third row, okay? I've, I've lived my whole life in church. I've read this passage a million times and I've never actually slowed down to think about what it's actually saying, that God's love, it, it, it endures. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear somebody say that they have to endure something, usually the something they are referring to, that means it's not always pleasant. That means it's not always easy. Like if, uh, God forbid, you were to go, to, to my, go up to my wife, Beth, and you were to say, hey, Beth, how's marriage going? I would hate for her to turn to you and say, I'm enduring. <laughs> like, I endure it. No, I want to hear, man, I enjoy it. Like, Kenan's the whole deal. You know what I mean? Like, he's a rock star. That's what I want to hear. But listen to me. Listen to me. God didn't sign up for your life just for the parts he can enjoy. Even in moments of, listen to me. God doesn't enjoy every moment of your life. But even when he can't enjoy it, he chooses to endure it. Even in the moments when you're making decisions that are lesser than the person he's called you to be. And the reason they're lesser is because they don't lead to life. They don't lead to a life-giving outcome. They don't, leave you, they don't leave you proud of the person he made you to be. And God doesn't love those moments of your life, but he endures those moments of your life. He wades in. He doesn't shy away. He doesn't, hit, he doesn't hit, skip town. He doesn't turn tail and run. No, even when God can't enjoy you, he endures you. Why? Because his love, his love is fixated upon you the love of the lord it endures forever what this is saying is yeah you're not easy to love but you're worth it no you're not easy to love but you're worth it god's love isn't just about what's easy it's about what it's worth listen to me the cross wasn't easy but it was worth it the cat and nine tails that ripped him to shreds weren't easy but it was worth it the crown of thorns wasn't easy, but it was worth it. Carrying an old rugged cross on his beaten and bloodied back a mile up a hill called Golgotha wasn't easy, but it was worth it because you were on the other side. God's love didn't sign up because you're easy. He signed up because you're worth it. No, you're not easy. You're worth it. You're worth it. God's love, it endures even the parts of you it can't enjoy. And it stays and it beckons and it's daring if you, just, if you just dare to grasp 
If you just dare to grasp how long, how wide, how high, and how deep my love is. You know, I love that Paul in that moment in Ephesians, he covers every dimension. It's how wide, how long, how high, how deep, that there is no area you can run in which God's love is not already waiting there for you. David said this, if I make my bed in hell, there you are, God. Where can I go that your presence is far from me? And I'm telling you, when you get convinced that the presence of God follows you all the days of your life, you will never live. You'll never live a second, as a second-rate citizen in the kingdom of God ever again. Because listen to me, God, you aren't a second-rate citizen in the kingdom of God. He gave you his best when he gave you his son. And even the parts of you God's love can't enjoy, it steps in and it chooses to endure. Listen to me, God's love, it endures our rejection. God's love endures our rejection. And this is, all, listen to me, this has always been the truth about the love of God. There has never been a moment in which God's love did not endure humanity's rejection. This didn't all of a sudden show up when Jesus came on the scene. God, listen to me, God has always been who Jesus revealed him to be. Can, I let, can you let that settle down in your soul? God has always been who Jesus revealed him to be. That's why Jesus came to reveal it. He came to reveal it. And God, the love of God has always been out to endure humanity's rejection. And there's a moment in the scriptures in which this pops up in a pretty, in a pretty amazing way. And it happened 750 years before Jesus would ever come to the planet. 750 years before Jesus would come, the enduring love of God showed up. The long love of God, the lengthy love of God showed up on full display through a young man by the name of Hosea. Hosea, if you're not familiar, he's a prophet to the nation of Israel. What does that mean? It means he's a speaker on, on behalf of God to the people. Okay, it means he's a pretty big deal. He was one of the most famous figures in his day and he is without a doubt the most famous religious figure in his day. The most famous living religious figure in his day, he is it. He's well known, everybody knows Hosea. He goes and gets alone with God and then comes and tells the people what God has said. And so all of a sudden we find in the book of Hosea, Hosea goes to spend time with God and all of a sudden Hosea sits there and he says, hey God, what do you want to say? What, what, what's up today? And God says, all right, Jose, today's a little different. I have an assignment for you today, Jose, and if you would dare to accept it, I want you to, well, I want you, I want you to marry a prostitute. Jose had to, like, said, excuse me, I, I, what was that? God says, I want you to marry a prostitute. All of a sudden, Hosea says, yes, sir, I can only imagine what I, my reaction would have been. But Hosea, he's been walking with God for some time. And listen to me, that's what walking with God after years will do, is God starts saying some crazy things to you, and you just dare to trust him. Hosea just dares to trust him. He says, okay. So all of a sudden, Hosea wanders off, and he finds a prostitute to marry, one specifically by the name of Gomer. Now, I, I know what you have to be thinking. What a name. You know what I mean? Like, even her parents didn't love her. You know what I mean? Like, this is horrible. Okay. So Hosea, he goes and finds a prostitute to marry, one by the name of Gomer. And all of a sudden, they begin to live together. They begin to be married. And, and for a while, things seem to be going pretty well. All of a sudden, they have a baby boy. They have a baby girl. 
They end up having another baby boy. All of a sudden, like, there's this happy little family beginning to form, as, or, or, though it, or though it seems. And so all of a sudden, they live this way for some time. Everything seems to be clicking on all cylinders. And then all of a sudden, now you have to understand, the book of Hosea is very poetic, okay? It's very poetic. It's not like a, a linear story where you can just go through and pick it all out. So I'm doing my best this morning to give the story some handles for you. So you can imagine Hosea, he's laying in bed one night, and all of a sudden he, he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he turns over as I would if I had woken up in the middle of the night to see if my wife's awake, and he looks to see if Gomer's awake, and to his shock and surprise, Gomer's not, Gomer's not even in bed. Gomer's not even next to him. He gets, he gets concerned as any good husband would, so he jumps out of bed. Maybe one of the kids is sick, so he begins to check all of the kids' rooms and can't find Gomer. Everybody's sound asleep, and so... Maybe, maybe she's in the kitchen. Maybe she's just, you know, maybe she's cooking me a little breakfast, you know. And so he runs into the kitchen and Gomer's not there until finally he is literally, he's literally at his wits end. He begins to frantically, you can imagine, check every nook and cranny of that house until finally after having nowhere left to look, it settles in. Reality hits him. She's gone. She's left him. He's now a single dad with three kids, and to add insult to injury, he is in charge of speaking to an entire nation on behalf of God. You can imagine the, 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 the thoughts, the insecurities that are rolling through his mind in this moment, like, I'm supposed to be a man of God, and I can't even keep my wife at home. I'm supposed to be a standard setter. I'm supposed to be where people look to, and I can't even keep the woman God told me to marry at home. You can imagine the embarrassment. You can imagine the feelings that are pulsating through his mind and his body. And Hosea just begins to live his life, taking care of his kids, doing what he can. Until all of a sudden, God comes to Hosea one day and God says, all right, Hosea, I have a plan. Hosea's like, yo, I'm all ears, man. I'm all ears. God says, okay, here's the plan. I want you to, I want you to go find her. Go find her. Yep. Go find her, and when you do, I want you to marry her again. Marry her again? Yep, I want you to marry her again. So all of a sudden, Hosea says, okay. And so he begins to frantically look through the city. He's checking her favorite cafes. He's checking her favorite boutiques. He's checking her favorite restaurants, anywhere he thinks she might be found, until finally he has checked high and low throughout the city, and there is now nowhere left to look but the place he found her in the first place. He's got to go back to that part of town, if you know what I mean. So all of a sudden, Hosea wanders over to that part of town, and He's got to go looking for his wife where men of God should never be seen. How awkward must this feel? How out of place must this make him feel? He's wandering around and now has to interact with people who are in that industry, in that lifestyle, and ask them what's going on. You can imagine he says, ma'am, ma'am, um, hey, my name's Jose. I, I, I know who you are. Okay, well, I, my wife's name is Gomer, and I, I can't find her. Have you seen her anywhere? No, sir, I had I had no idea anything was going on. I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, I, 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 if I find anything out, I'll be sure to try to get a hold of you and, and let you know. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. Begins to search high and low. You know, it's not too, it's not too far-fetched to even imagine he probably had to ask some guys. Guys in that part of town are only over there for one thing. 
You can imagine he walks up to a guy sitting in a back alley somewhere and says, hey, man, sorry to bother you, but hey, my name's Jose. Oh, bro, like, yeah, I know. He says, hey, man, well, I'm, I'm looking for my wife, Gomer. She's, she, she left it. I can't find her. Have you, have you seen her? He said, oh, dang, bro, well, you see what had, what had happened was like she didn't tell me like y'all were still together, bro. And like it wasn't today, but it was like a few nights ago few streets down, like, I'm my, my B, man, like, she did not breathe a word about you guys still being together. He said, I don't really need to know about two nights ago, man. I need to know right now where she's at. Have you seen her? No, nah, dude, I, I, I haven't seen her. Okay. Jose begins to wander around, just frantically looking until all of a sudden, Hosea rounds a corner and he walks up on a sea of people and this sea of people are all pressed in around a platform. And who is standing on the platform but Gomer? Hosea walks up on what most scholars believe to be an auction. It's a sex slave auction and being sold at top dollar is his wife on a stage. You can imagine the kind of crowd that's pressed in around this platform. They want to know where their money's going. They want to know what they're getting. So Gomer in this moment is completely bare. She is completely exposed. She's completely naked in front of all of these people. And this is what Hosea walks up on. His wife being sold at top dollar. Many yelling a dollar amount. They believe his wife is worth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the kind of feelings can you imagine the kind of anger can you imagine the kind of frustration and confusion that would flood you in that moment all of a sudden Hosea just begins to make his way to the stage he says excuse me excuse me excuse me excuse me so finally he gets to the edge of the platform where Gomer and the auctioneer stand he says I'm sorry I'm sorry sir I don't know if you realize this but she's actually my wife the auctioneer probably says something like this. I don't know who you think she is, but she's mine and she's for sale. Here's the price. Does he have to outbid other bidders? Maybe. Until finally we see in Hosea chapter 3 that Hosea pays 15 pieces of silver and 5 bushels of barley. Now you need to understand 15 and 5 are very significant numbers in scripture. 15 speaks of the divine energy of God towards humanity and 5 is the number of grace. 15 and 5, the silver represents divinity, it represents heaven, the barley representing man. Jesus is both God and man. Hosea literally pays prophetically with something that is symbolic of Jesus. The gospel is literally unfolding before our eyes if we'll just dare to take a look. All of a sudden, Hosea sits there in that moment and the auctioneer says, sold, and he goes to take his payment out. And I'll be honest with you, I would have been fine, but it was right, it's right about now that I would have said something. I'd have been cool with rolling with Hosea, trying to find his girl. He's on a quest from God, but it's right about now when he goes to pay for her that I would have stepped in. I would have said, Hosea, hold up a second. You are not giving him a dang thing. I don't know if you've forgotten, my friend, but that is your wife. Like newsflash, what I'm trying to say is she's already yours. But you see, what you have to understand is this, is what Hosea didn't know. But God did know was that 750 years later, God would send his perfect son to our planet to purchase back what is in fact already his. 
The Bible says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I don't know if you realize it, my friend, but God holds the patent for your life. He is your creator and he couldn't stand to be separated from you. So he sends his perfect son to our planet to purchase back what already belonged to him. It already belonged to him and Hosea has no idea that he's literally living the gospel out right before our eyes. Hosea goes and he pays the 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and all of a sudden the, the guards, they come and unlock Gomer from her chains and her shackles. All of a sudden her ropes fall at her feet. Maybe if they're nice, they'll throw a blanket around her, save some sort of last bit of dignity, and she begins to be escorted down the platform where Hosea eagerly awaits the arrival and reunion of his wife. Now you can only imagine what's going through Gomer's mind in this moment. She never dreamed Hosea would come here. She never dreamed he'd come here, let alone pay the price of the auction. And so you can imagine in her mind, like he has been as nice as he's going to be. He's gone above and beyond. And now I'm about to get it. I'm about to get a tongue lashing. I'm about to be told how much pain, how much trouble I've caused them. She begins to, you can imagine, emotionally, emotionally brace herself for the tongue lashing she's about to get. And all of a sudden we see Gomer is escorted down the platform. Hosea waits there. And I want you to read these words because these are the first words Hosea utters to Gomer as they have the reunion. Hosea chapter three, verse three says this. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. So will I also be to you. When we would expect a rebuke, when we would expect condemnation and shame and her past to be thrown in her face, what does Hosea do? All he begins to do is talk about the future. All he begins to do is talk about from this day forward. What is Hosea doing? He's renewing his vows to her. I'm here to tell you this morning, my friend, God's not interested in throwing your past in your face. No, right now in this moment, he wants to talk about from this day forward. I don't want to talk about what once was. I don't want to talk about what used to be. I already paid for it. I already covered it. I want to know if you'll trust me into this legendary life I want to lead you into. I want to know if you'll dare to let, this, let the dust of your past be shaken off your feet and let me lead you in the glorious divine destiny that I carved for you long before the foundations of the world were even laid. I've got plans for you, and they don't include bondage. They don't include shame. They don't include condemnation. I've got a future and a hope for you. This is the moment that God wants to have. Listen to me. When you come to God, you're not going to get beat up from the feet up. You're not going to get reminded of where you used to be. No, God begins to speak into you of where he's called you, where he's called you to be. And you know, if I could have somebody just come and play real quick, but you know what would be an absolute tragedy would be for you to be here this morning, standing in your shame, standing in your guilt, standing in your place of failure. And for your Hosea, you have to understand Jesus is our Hosea. Jesus is the true Hosea. Jesus is the lover of our soul. Jesus is the groom who comes back to purchase his bride. That is who Jesus is. Hosea is a prophetic picture of Jesus. And what would be a tragedy would be for you to be here this morning, standing in your shame and for Jesus to show up here 
having purchased your freedom and opening up his arms to you and say, come on, I've got something better. And for you to look at him and go, no, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve the grace. I don't deserve a bright tomorrow. I don't deserve any of that. I don't deserve you. I deserve. I deserve this. I deserve this platform of shame. I've built it brick by brick by brick, moment by moment by moment, mistake by mistake by mistake, sin after sin after sin. This is what I deserve. I don't deserve to leave this place. You know, the truth is, is if you're feeling that way this morning, you're right. You don't deserve to leave that place. You don't deserve. But the crazy thing about the love of God is it doesn't seem to care. The crazy thing about the love of God is it doesn't seem to give a second thought as to what you deserve. No, you need to understand this. The question the love of God has come to ask you this morning is not what do you think you deserve. No, we all know that. God knows that. The question, the audacious, long love of God wants to ask you this morning is, what do you think Jesus deserves? And the truth is this, Jesus deserves what he purchased. He deserves what he paid for. And he's paid for you. He wants you, not a future version of you, not a cleaned up version of you, not an Instagrammable version of you, not a more Christian version of you. No, he wants the you you are right now. Why? Because if you'll give him the you you are right now, you won't stay the you you are right now. No, he'll take you from glory to glory, strength to strength, grace to grace. All of a sudden, the grace and the love of God open up a reality for you. Know that you don't deserve the, the one that he Listen, not now no longer are you just God's by design, but you're his by purchase. Listen to me. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are now doubly God's. You're his by design, but now you're his by purchase. I don't know what else could speak to you. The infinite worth God sees in you. He made you. And then when you wandered away, he paid for you. The long love of God came a long way. And the worst thing in the world would be for God's love to come all the way right here. It's crossed an ocean. It's crossed decades. It's gone person to person, Sunday after Sunday. So it could finally get right here to your ears. And for the love of God to come all this way, you snub your nose up at it. And not dare to grasp just how wide and long and high and deep. And right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment of privacy and concentration, I just want to talk to some people who are in here this morning. You'd say, Keenan, you know what? I, I need Jesus. I've never put my faith in the love of God. I've never put my faith. I've never yielded my soul to the grace of God that came and paid for me when I couldn't get myself out of my bondage. I put myself there and I couldn't get myself out. And you would say, Keenan, I need the love of God to come and do for me what I can't do for myself. If that's you, when I count to three here in a moment, I just want you to shoot your hand up as a sign of surrender and faith. But also, if you're just saying, Keenan, you know what? I just need a moment just to come back to afresh for the love of God again. I, I'm, I'm a believer. 
I am a Christian, but you know, if you'd say, Kenan, I just need a, I need a moment of rededication. I need a moment of realignment. I'm ready to say yes and grasp the, the width, the height, the length, and the depth of the love of God afresh and anew again. If that's you, if you fall in one of those two categories, you'd like to say yes to Jesus for the first time or yes to him for the first time in a long, long time. If that's you, when I count to three, I'd just like you to shoot your hand up. One, God loves you. Two, now is your moment. Three, come on, if that's you, just shoot your hand up right now. Yes, hands going up literally all over this place. Yes, 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 yes. Hands literally going up all over. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for this moment. I'm gonna pray for you. And then we're going to call it a day. Lord, I just thank you so much, for Lord, for these hands. Lord, because those hands represent a heart. Lord, that's just yielded to your love, yielded to the length of your love, that they recognize that the feet of their sin cannot carry them far enough where your love can't swoop them up and take them back. And Lord, I thank you right now that for every hand, Lord, every heart that has just been yielded up, Lord, I thank you that right now your grace fortifies that place, Lord, that they don't have to live it for another second, wondering where they are going to spend eternity. No, they can have confidence right here and right now, not confidence in themselves, not even confidence in this sermon, but confidence in the one it's about, the one that has met them in the middle of their mess and has pulled them out. Lord, I thank you for it right now, and I call each and every single person under the sound of my voice, blessed in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.